Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Hello brethren, God bless you Thank you for joining us. We've been um, into some deep study here of the end times and revelations of the Word. And uh, Father, we just ask you in the name of Jesus that you would be with us today, Lord, that you would uh, uh, anoint me to be able to get these points across to my brethren, Lord, and um, that you would bless them to be able to perceive and understand and, and receive revelation. And we trust in you, Lord, because you're the great revelator. We're not. We trust in you to open our understanding and to bless us today. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. Well, brethren, uh, I think that what I'm going to share with you today is concerning the real true nature and the real true story of the son of perdition. You know, years ago, when I was writing an article called The Son of Perdition in my, in my book, on our site, America's Last Days, uh, and the book's called Hidden Manna for the End Times. I was writing the article on the Son of Perdition. Um, I was in the midst of it, and um, uh, a brother with the gift of prophecy called me, and um, he said he found out about me because he sat down at his computer one day, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him, the address to type in, and in those days I had a very complicated address. It wasn't simple at all. And he typed in this address and ended up at my website. And um, he was very enthused with some of the things he found there. And uh, so he called me, and he said, David, you never guess how I found out about you. I says, no, so tell me. So he explained to me how the Holy Spirit gave him the address. And then he started sharing something else with me. He said, you know, the Lord told me that next month I'm going to see the son of perdition. And I kind of came back at him. I said, well, I says, I don't know how that's possible uh, that you should see the son of perdition next month because I knew what the Bible had to say about when the son of perdition was going to be revealed, so on and so forth. And, and when I said that, the Holy Spirit just said, be quiet. You're writing this article on the son of perdition, which I was doing at that particular time. And when you get through with it, he's going to read it, and he's going to see the son of perdition. I says, okay. So I didn't say anything to the brother, but sure enough, it was the next month when I got through with it, and I sent it to him, and he read it, and he said, I see it. I see it. <laughs> because it has been hidden, folks. It's been hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes. That's God's way, right? And I want to tell you something, that the son of perdition is a corporate body of people. You know, I shared with you um, a few teachings back uh, how that the Lord gave me a word of knowledge and wisdom years ago. He said to me, everything that happened in the Gospels and in the book of Acts will be repeated in the end time, except the cast of characters will be multiplied many times over. And uh, 
what the Lord showed me is what happened in the Gospels and Acts. That whole scenario is repeated except the characters like Jesus and like the apostles and like Judas and like the Sanhedrin and the Roman government. These all became multiplied on a worldwide scene and they're being enacted again now. Uh, I want to remind you of Isaiah chapter 7, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word sign there is the word uth, and it means to come. Literally, it means to come. Uth is like the word uh, omen. It's a sign of something to come. And uh, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, it speaks about Emmanuel. Emmanuel in here speaks several times. And, but in verse 17, there's another sign. Verse 16. And I believe Emmanuel is speaking here. Because he says, Bind thou up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. Disciples is not a common word in the Old Testament. And I will wait for the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Israel, and I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. And as you know, Jesus did signs and wonders, and his children did too. He called them his children, his disciples did signs and wonders. Now, if these people were for signs also, a sign of something to come, then Judas Iscariot was a sign of something to come. He represented also a large corporate body in our day. Fathers pass on to larger and larger groups in a geometric progression. You know, like Israel at the beginning was a man, but Israel as you went on was a corporate body of people. So, we have this sign of Judas. And the Lord told me that this was a sign of a corporate body of people to come. And that everything that happened there is going to happen again. So let's examine this a little bit. Now Jesus said in John 17 and verse 12, He said, While I was with them, I kept them in thy name, which thou hast given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that was Judas, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Only one of the people that the Lord had chosen to walk with him, the son of perdition, perished. You know, in, in John 13 and 18, it says, He that eateth my bread lifteth up his heel against me. Judas represented a corporate body of people that in our day will lift up their heel against the people of God, their brethren. Um, Jesus told us that this would be a corporate body in, in Matthew 24 and verse 10. He said, And then shall many stumble and shall deliver up one another and shall hate one another. Notice that Jesus said many would stumble and deliver up, just like Judas delivered up Jesus. But now it's delivering up one another. It's delivering up the corporate body of Christ. And since the body of Christ needs to go to its cross, it needs a corporate body of Judas. That's right. And this is God's plan, folks. 
I'm going to, we're going to study a lot in, in 2 Thessalonians here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. This also speaks of a son of perdition that I'm convinced that almost nobody knows about. And he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, touching the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. Notice it's talking about the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the saints. And in verse 3 he says, Let no man beguile you in any wise, for it will not be except the falling away come first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice what he said, folks. The very opposite of what most people say it says here is what he's saying. He said, The coming of the Lord for his saints is not going to happen except the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. People say well, they're never going to see this, contrary to what the Scripture says. The word falling away here is the word apostasia, where we get our word apostasy. It means a defection from the truth. Just as Judas was hidden in the midst of the body of Christ in that day, and wasn't revealed until there was a falling away, the same thing is going to happen in our day. Judas represents a corporate body of the son of perdition who's hidden in the midst of the body of Christ today that will be used to deliver up one another. This I tell you in the name of Jesus. And I think we can prove it pretty well from the Scriptures too. You know, Jesus at the time of the, um, the Last Supper, for instance, when Judas did end up delivering the Lord up, Jesus asked uh, the disciples or he's asked by the disciples who it was that would betray him. And, uh, of course, they all said, is it I, is it I, is it I? They weren't sure of themselves even, you know. But in John 13 and 26, Jesus therefore answered, He it is for whom I dip the sop and give it to him. So when he had dipped the sop, he taketh it and giveth it to Judas. And after the sop, then entered Satan into him. Notice two things entered into Judas here. Satan and the sop. Pretty interesting. Uh, there's a connection here. It's a type and a shadow. The Lord said to me when I was reading this one day, He said, Sop, S-O-P, son of perdition. I thought, wow. You say, David, that's just in English. I, I know it. But I don't care. I know what the Lord said to me, and it really makes sense. Okay? Sop. S-O-P. Son of perdition. That's what he said. You know, Satan entered into Judas at that time, making him the mark. We studied the mark a while back. We, rep we found out that the mark represented both the word and the name. It was the character of God that he used to recreate his image in his body. Well, this was what was created in Judas, and it wasn't the image of Christ. It was the image of Antichrist. And you know what he became? He became an abomination of desolation. And I'm going to explain that to you. First, I want you to look at a little bit of timing here with me. Jesus taught these disciples, including Jesus, for three and a half years. At the end of that three and a half years, the son of perdition fell away. He was revealed to the disciples who he was, and he betrayed the Lord, and he became desolate. 
Now, the word desolate in the text just means without God. He became uh, desolate in that God forsook him. He became reprobate. And as you know, he hung himself. Well, in, in accordance with this type, the man-child is going to teach for three and a half years. The, man, the corporate man-child, remember that Jesus was going to be manifested in our day as a first-fruits corporate body too, called the man-child in Revelation 12. So the man-child is going to teach also for three and a half years the disciples, among whom is, I might say, some sons of perdition. And um, this will bring us to the mid-tribulation when the Bible teaches that the mark and the image and the abomination manifest. Now what I'm going to prove to you is that that mark and that image and that abomination has to do with Judas in the body of Christ. It happens at the exact same time according to the scriptures. Okay? Now first I want to point out to you that, that God used the hand of Judas. It was his plan. God put him in the midst of that body. Jesus said, didn't I choose you twelve and one of you is a devil? See, he knew from the beginning, the Bible says, who it was that would betray him. He told the disciples, one of you shall betray me. He didn't say, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm coming against it by faith. <laughs> he said, one of you, he had faith it was going to happen. Because it was supposed to happen. One of you shall betray me, he said. And what thou doest, do quickly, he told Judas at the last moment. In other words, get the job over with. See, this is a job that God wants done. God is using the hand of Judas. It's his plan. He's not going to depart from it. You know, Acts 2 and 23 says, Him being delivered up, delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan. Ye by the hand of lawless men did crucify and slay. God used the hand of lawless men. Now this word lawless here just happens to be the same word in Second Thessalonians, where it says, in Second Thessalonians 2 and 3, the man of sin, the word sin there is lawlessness, the same word, be revealed, the son of perdition. The son of perdition is the man of lawlessness. And God used the hand of the son of perdition, notice. He used the hand of a man of lawlessness to crucify the body of Christ, and so it's going to be in our day. I've seen many of these folks. I mean, I've seen quite a few of them come against me in this ministry. And, uh, of course, they, they do humble you. They do crucify you. They do have a wonderful work in your life. Okay? The Lord said to me one day when I was looking into this, one of those words of knowledge he gave me, he said, look up Judas Iscariot. So I did. And uh, Judas is a, a Hebrew word that means to use the hand. Wow, there it is again. To use the hand. So I looked up Iscariot. And I found that Iscariot came from two words. Is is a Hebrew word for man. And Cariot is a Babylonian word for city. Now, if you put that all together, here's what you come up with. To use the hand of a Hebrew, in this case it's Christian because we've been grafted into the olive tree, right? To use the hand of a Christian man who is a Babylonian city. Boy, this was 
proven to me all through the scriptures after the Lord showed me this about this city that's in the midst of God's city. You know, the son of perdition is a city of Babylon, a corporate body of people that are hidden in the corporate body of the city of God, God's people. So you've got a, an evil city, an evil corporate body of people in the midst of a, a righteous city. In other words, you've got an, a, a Babylonish temple in the midst of a true temple of God. Okay. Matthew 5 and 14 says, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You know, he said his disciples were a city. And here you've got this Babylonian city, Iscariot, a man who is a Babylonian city, in the midst of them that doesn't belong there. You know, the falling away and the mark will separate the spiritual harlot city from the true city of God. It'll separate the spiritual harlot temple from the temple of God. This is God's plan. The body of Christ won't be ready to meet Him until this happens. I'm going to prove that to you. You know, Judas was a type of the end time son of perdition who betrayed Christ to the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin in that day was the corporate false prophet. That's right. There is a corporate false prophet in Jesus' day, and it's a much larger corporate false prophet in our day. There's no place in the Bible that says that there is one false prophet. Not any place. There is a symbol of the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, and people call it the false prophet. But there's no words to say that. Jesus said there were many false prophets. That's a body there, a body of people, the second beast in Revelation 13. And we'll talk about that a little later. Well, um, like Babylon was guilty of the blood of the body of Christ in Revelation 18 and 24, so Judas was guilty of the blood of the body of Christ. You see the parallel there? Okay. In Matthew 24, chapter, verse 9, it says, then shall they, they, many, then shall they deliver you up unto tribulation. See, it's happening in a corporate way. It's going to happen in a corporate way. And shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all the nations, that's the beast kingdom, for my name's sake. And then shall many stumble which is to fall away. Remember the falling away of the son of perdition, right? Many shall stumble and shall deliver up one another and shall hate one another. And get this, many false prophets shall arise and shall lead many astray. Wow. So, you see, folks, it is going to happen just the way Jesus said. The people are looking at the types in the shadows and they're basically... Repeating the types and the shadows, but not interpreting them. Jesus interpreted them for us. Okay. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, that uh, the son of perdition is he that opposeth and exalteth himself against 
all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sitteth in the temple of God, setting himself forth as God. Twice he talked about exalting self and setting self forth as God. We'll look at that in a minute. First I want to look at this word he says, sitteth in the temple of God. The word for temple here is the word naos. And it is used nine times by the Apostle Paul. Like this case. And in every case that it is used, it is speaking about the spiritual temple of God's people. In every case. Okay. Now, it's also used 70, the word temple, by the way, is used 71 more times, but it's the word herion. And it's always used as the literal temple. What are we saying? What we're saying is that the son of perdition sits in the temple all right, but it's not a physical temple. It is the temple of God's people. Just like Judas sat in the midst of a temple. It was the temple of God's people. The body of Christ. And, of course, the people who see only the letter, they're pointing you towards something that's going to happen over there in the Middle East, they think. Which has nothing to do with your life and will be no help to you in the situation that you're about to find yourself in. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Just as Judas was in the body of the believers, the latter-day son of perdition will take the mark, which, of course, identifies him as a member of the body of the beast, and will sit in the midst of the temple of God's people. So you've got a, a personal temple of Judas himself being in the midst of the temple of God's people. And this verse goes on to say, An abomination which maketh desolate. It is an abomination for the beast to be in the temple of God's people. And that's exactly who Judas was, and that's who Judas, the son of perdition in the future, will be, because he will take the mark of the beast. He will have an abomination that maketh desolate. Everybody who takes that mark, folks, as you know, will be desolate. God will depart from them. They will be what the Bible calls reprobate. Reprobate is a word used in the New Testament for the departure of God from an individual temple. But desolate is a term that's used for the corporate temple. Titus 1 and 16 says, They profess that they know God, but by their works they deny Him. And being abominable. There it is. These people who claim to know God, but their works don't prove that. They don't agree with that. They claim to know God, but their works prove them to be abominable. That's an abomination in the midst of God's temple when a person does this. They profess they know God, but by their works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient. There's not any premium put on today on obedience. But if you're not obedient, you're abominable. They profess they know God, but by their works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And there is the word for desolate that concerns the individual temple. See, we are a body of temples that that is made into a holy temple, according to Ephesians. 
Notice that um, the son of perdition exalts himself, quote, in the verse that we just looked at, and he sets himself forth as God. Do you know that that's pretty common with the people who are disobedient and abominable? Whenever they go their own way, do their own thing, who is ruling in that temple? The beast or God? Well, the flesh is, self is, right, ruling in that temple. And, uh, you know, these parables are meant to hide these wonderful revelations from the wise and prudent, but reveal it unto babes. He doesn't want the Pharisees to find out about it. And he doesn't want their people to find out about it. Because this is revelation that he's reserved for, for his children. So, he exalts self to rule as God in his individual temple, which is in the corporate temple. So you've got a Babylonish temple in the midst of God's temple here. And by the way, there are many sons of perdition, so you're talking about a corporate temple in the midst of a corporate temple. Romans 16 and 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly. You know what your belly represents, something that cries out to be served, right? And I tell you what, you serve it pretty good too, don't you? You know, but the belly represents self to the Jews. It represented self. They don't serve Christ. They serve their belly, just like it says. He exalts himself. He sets himself forth as God. Where? In the temple of the people of God. And by their smooth and fair speech... They beguile the hearts of the innocents. Oh yes, these sons of perdition, some of them are pretty smooth talkers. And they might be pretty impressive to some people. But they won't be to the right people. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of, of the cross of Christ. You know, the cross, of course, is something we need to embrace. It is the death of self. You know why they don't want the death of self? Because their belly is their God. They want to serve self. They don't want to serve Christ. If you don't take up your cross and follow Him, you will serve self, but you will also be reprobated at the end. And verse 19 says, whose end is perdition. There they are, the sons of perdition. They serve self rather than serving Christ. Their end is perdition, which is a word for meaning destruction. They will be destroyed. Whose God is the belly. There it is right there. They're sitting in the temple of God serving self. Self is ruling in the people of God, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Mind earthly things. What is this? This is what we talked about earlier about the spiritual mark of the beast. The mark in the hand or the forehead. The forehead meaning the mind. Those who walk after the mind of the flesh serve their belly. They have the spiritual mark of the beast. And as we saw earlier, 
they will take the physical mark of the beast. Now, Judas also was an apostle. He was ordained to be a leader in the corporate temple, as some sons of perdition will also be Okay, in our day. Uh, the beast will be ruling in the temple. See, if you have the spiritual mark of the beast, and you mind earthly things, and you're walking after the mind of the flesh, which Paul said in Romans chapter 8, you must die if you do that. Your end is perdition, destruction. Okay, So you mind these earthly things, and you're sitting in the temple of God. That's the beast ruling in the temple of God, because you've got the mark of the beast that identifies you as a member of the body of the beast. Now, folks, let me tell you, we've got a corporate temple worldwide. And in the midst of this temple, increasingly, the son of perdition will be coming to rule. You say, David, looks like pretty much like that now. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. That is absolutely right. And you're going, before the end, we're going to prove which of these people will repent and which of them will go on into perdition as sons of perdition ruling. In the body. Now, the son of perdition will take the mark, which is the final abomination that maketh him desolate. It's kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. God says, thus far and no more, basically. Uh, they become the image of the beast in the apostate temple, in the corporate apostate temple of all of the sons of perdition. And here's some proof. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. We saw this was the spirit of the Roman Empire. The principality that, that brought Rome together and ruled over the world. Because the rest of that text also speaks about the prince of Greece and the prince of um, Persia. And they're all talking about all the princes there are, are uh, principalities. And he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And upon the wing or pinnacle of abominations shall come one that maketh desolate. Now, let's back up a little bit and let's look at this. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. We found out what the sacrifice was of the true Christian. It is to present their bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But when you take the mark of the beast, you no longer serve God because you're a member of the beast. You're now serving self. You're serving the beast. You're serving the flesh. And so a person that goes into this covenant, comes into agreement in this covenant, and takes the mark of the beast, that is causing the sacrifice and the oblation to God to cease. Folks, there is a continual burnt offering that has been offered since the time of Jesus, and it is the Christians who have sacrificed their life, taken up their cross to follow him. They are continually a burnt offering. They go through the fiery trials to burn up the wood, hay, and the stubble in their life. That is their sacrifice of their body. But I want to tell you that there are others in our midst that will not touch that with a ten-foot pole. That is not their plan. They don't want to lose their life in this world. Jesus said, if you don't lose your life in this world, you won't gain your Zoe life. 
your higher life, your heavenly life. So this, this covenant and this mark that identifies these people uh, is, a sac- is a causing of the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And on the wing or pinnacle of abominations, let me tell you that the pinnacle of abominations is the mark. Because just like Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation 14 tells us that anybody that takes this mark is reprobated. They are going to be tormented day and night forever and ever in the presence of the angels. They are reprobated. So upon the pinnacle of abomination shall come one that maketh desolate. That is the mark of the beast. And I want to say that for the corporate temple, it is the image of the beast in the temple. The image of the beast, as we saw, the image or the icon is created by the charagma or character. And the character is the word of God, Jesus Christ, for our kingdom. But the beast also has his character. And it is being imprinted on the people who walk after the flesh, the mind of the flesh, and the works of the flesh. They walk they are serving their fathers. Like Jesus told the leaders, you're of your father, the devil. That was the leaders of Judaism. So, this makes them desolate, which is, means, of course, deserted by God. Even unto a full end, and that determined, shall wrath be poured out upon the desolate. There they, they are. These people will go through the wrath of God. Not the righteous. They'll go through the tribulation, but they won't go through the wrath. The wrath is that year in which the sons of perdition will go into and be destroyed. And, of course, you know, Judas hanged himself, which is a spiritual thing of cutting off the the breath or the spirit of life. He cut himself off from the spirit of life. The word breath and spirit, same in, in Hebrew. Same word in Hebrew. That's a spiritual type there. Now, the, the, the corporate son of perdition will take the mark and he will go back to his Christian assemblies to fulfill the word. Matthew 24 and 15. When therefore you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let him that readeth understand. Watch carefully now. When you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by Daniel, standing in the holy place? No. No, literally, the Greek word here is a holy place. But since people thought, well, there is only one holy place, their theology got in there, so they just put it the way they wanted it. But did you know the Textus Receptus, which so many people rely on and and commend, uh, the ancient manuscripts... And the numeric pattern, or the numeric Bible, all say, a holy place. The is not in the received text, ancient manuscripts, or numeric pattern. It's not there. A, as opposed to the holy place, implies individual bodies of believers that the son of perdition are in the midst of. When you see the abomination of desolations, Standing in a holy place. What did he tell you? Flee. <laughs> That's the time of great tribulation. Great tribulation. That means the second three and a half years. When you see that, 
that's the end of peace and, and safety, and uh, not, not saying safety, but the end of the peaceful time of being taught for three and a half years by the Lord. See, now it's great tribulation. See, Second Thessalonians 2 and 6 says, Now you know that which restraineth to the end that he, that is the son of perdition, may be revealed in his own season. What, what, keeps, what restrains or what keeps the son of perdition from being revealed? Well, we have verse 3 which says, Except the falling away come first, and the son of perdition be revealed, the, 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 the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. See, the thing that restrains the revealing of the son of perdition is the falling away. It has to happen first. When Judas fell away, everybody knew, aha, it's Judas. They were asking the Lord moments before. See? Well, so the thing that restrains the revealing of the son of perdition is the falling away. Just as the pattern with Judas clearly shows. He was hidden in the midst of the body, and the disciples didn't know it until the falling away happened. And suddenly they realized Judas was the one Jesus was talking about. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. For the mystery of lawlessness doth already work, only there is one that restraineth now, until he, listen, become out of the midst. See, the one that's restraining the coming of the Lord is the son of perdition in the midst of the body. I'm going to explain this in just a minute. Until he become out of the midst. He is restraining the coming of the Lord because he has to come out of the midst of the body of Christ first. And this become out of the midst is what it says in the Greek numeric pattern. It's what it says in the received text. And it's what it says in the ancient manuscripts. So why did they translate it differently? Well, it's the, the original is very clear what we're talking about here. And the verse goes on. And then shall be revealed the lawless one, the one that restrains the coming of the Lord, the lawless one, whom the Lord Jesus will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to naught by the manifestation of his coming. And truly, you know, when the Lord comes into your life, he is putting to death that old son of perdition, because there's a little bit of him in all of us, true. And, the, and he is in the body. He has to be put to death in the body, so that the body is spotless and blemishless. I'm going to point that out to you here. Notice that the Lord is restrained from coming until the son of perdition become out of the midst of God's people, the temple. Peter said, the lawless are... Them that walk after the flesh in the lust of defilement. There is a defilement in God's temple. The lawless being in the midst of God's temple, they are a defilement. They are a spiritual mark of the beast. Image of the beast in God's temple. They shall in their destroying be destroyed. Then what did he call them? Spots and blemishes. Wow, the, son, the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, is spots and blemishes in the body of Christ. Reveling in their deceivings while they feast with you. Yes, they are deceivers. They are in our midst. They're not committing to discipleship. They walk after the flesh. They're not denying their knife and they're not taking up their cross. But they feast with us. Second Peter 2, 8-13. 
God is coming for a spotless and blemishless bride. How can it be? We have spots and blemishes. Well, what did it say? Until he be come out of the midst. That's restraining the Lord from coming, because in the body there are spots and blemishes. These people in the corporate body are the spots and blemishes. Clearly, the Bible says that. In Matthew 13, it says that the Lord's going to gather the tares and bundle them into into uh, bundles to burn them. But he's going to gather the righteous uh, into his barn. Okay. Listen, a portion of the Antichrist beast is in the midst of the true temple. And they have to come out. 1 John 2 and 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you heard that Antichrist cometh, even now have there arisen many Antichrists. Notice they heard the same thing we've heard. (laughs) That Antichrist cometh. But I want to tell you, even now, there are many Antichrists. And there are many of them in the body of Christ too. Because he's fixing to say that right here. You have heard that Antichrist cometh, and even now have there arisen many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last hour. Now, some people argued that probably John didn't really know what the last hour was. But I want to tell you, it was the last hour of the covenant that the Jews were being reprobated from, who who had disobeyed Christ and refused to step over into the faith era. It was the last hour of their covenant. Now we're coming to the last hour of our covenant. The last hour then was a type and a shadow of the last hour now. And what did he say? Listen very carefully. They, who is they? These many antichrists, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out from us. Antichrists. We, we recognize Antichrist as the beast in the world, and that's true. The whole world is Antichrist, according to 1 John chapter 3. Everyone whose spirit does not confess that Christ lives in them is Antichrist. That's what 1 John says. Excuse me, 1 John 4. I said 1 John 3. So, if that be true, then the whole world is Antichrist, and we know that that's true. But, let me point out to you, that that body of Antichrist is also in the temple of God. They are these people who walk after the mind of the flesh and the works of the flesh and have his mark. Just as as the people of God have the mark of God in the mind and in the forehead, in the mind and in in the hand, that is the works of Christ and the mind of Christ, the people of the devil are the same way. They went out from among us, and they were not of us. Didn't Jesus say, Didn't I choose you twelve, and one of you is a devil? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be made manifest that they all are not of us. Now, why did they have to come out? Because in that day, just as in our day, the son of perdition has to come out of the midst because he is that Babylonish temple that's in God's temple, that defiled temple that's in the midst of God's temple. 
that spots and blemishes that are in the midst of God's people. Now let me read this to you. Some of you probably have never really understood this text in Matthew 13. Um, verse verse uh, 24. Another parable said he before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. So we know that there's tares among the wheat. Notice it said, The kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that sowed good seed, and among this good seed was sown tares. You know what that means? Among the body of Christ, there are these tares sown. But when the blade sprang up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And the servants, how can you tell the difference? Because a tear has a very tiny little fruit. It's very little fruit compared to the great big fruit of the, of the wheat. Okay. Verse 27. And the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not go sow good seed in thy field? Whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. That's right. These people are sowed into the body of Christ by the enemy. They're not true members of the body of Christ, but they're hidden in the midst, just like Judas was. A son of perdition, a son of destruction, a son that will be destroyed, so to speak. And the servants say unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he saith, Nay, lest haply while you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them. Now why do you mean that? Because, folks, let me tell you, the wheat needs the tares to come to maturity. We need the sons of perdition to bring us to our cross. That's their job. Jesus knew that. That's why he chose twelve, and one of them was a devil. So here's what he says in verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And they have been doing that. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather up first the tares. Now this bothers somebody, because he's talking about gathering up first the tares. Well, folks... That's what's going to happen, folks. There is going to be no rapture before the son of perdition is revealed. Before the falling away and the son of perdition is revealed. That's what we just read. Very clearly, in the black and white. It's not even deep, you see. Gather up first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Well, that's God's kingdom. That's God's temple we're talking about here. Gathered up first the tares. See, the mark of the beast in the middle of the tribulation is to gather up first the tares and bundle them. You know, birds of a feather flock together. When Judas came out of the midst, guess who he gathered around with? <laughs> you know, when he came out of the midst, matter of fact, he gathered with the Pharisees, didn't he? Now, when he gives the interpretation of this in uh, verse 40, he says, as therefore the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be in the end of the world, or literally the consummation of the age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things. What wasn't in the original, folks. There's no Greek word for things. Okay. They shall gather out of his kingdom all that cause stumbling and them that do iniquity. Do you believe him? Yes. 
The whole reason for the tribulation and the mark of the beast and these things is so that God gathers together into bundles these people that cause stumbling and do iniquity. And he's going to do that first before he gathers the saints. Did you notice? Yes. Before he gathers the saints. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. That's right. He's bundling them up in order to throw them into the wrath of God. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Notice, he gathers the tares into bundles first in order to throw them in the fire. But then, because they're bundled together, because the birds of a feather have flocked together, suddenly God's people shine forth in the kingdom of their father. Why is that? Because now the spots and blemishes are gone. The bride has now become the spotless and blemishless bride. You see, folks, they're leaving our kingdom. Remember the parable at the beginning. He said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares in the man's field. The kingdom of heaven. Look, folks, we're not talking about who flies away first here. It's talking about who's leaving whose kingdom. They are leaving our kingdom. The spots and blemishes, not only corporately, but individually, are going to be washed away. You know, your individual temple, sure, you've got spots and blemishes too. You know, it's little bits and pieces of the son of perdition in there, I suspect. At any rate... He'll be put, he'll come to naught by the manifestation of the coming of Christ in you. Isn't that what 2 Thessalonians says, basically? Not just in you individually, but in you, the corporate body. Boy, it's neat the things God's hidden in His Word. It's just so awesome. You know, He says that they're going to shine forth as the sun. Sun glory. They've grown from. Star glory to moon glory to sun glory. The Bible says that we're going to be, the Bible says if we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we'll be transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord to Spirit. And Paul explains these three glories in 1 Corinthians 15. You know what that, that's saying? That's saying that God is going to cleanse his individual bodies in the temple. He's going to cleanse the corporate body of the temple. He's going to cleanse um, the, the spots and blemishes that are in his body so that it is a beautiful church, a glorious church, complete and ready to serve him. Now, we're going to know these sons of perdition when we see them. They're going to do the same thing that the first son of perdition did. There'll be no reasoning with these people. They don't have the Spirit of God into them to give them um, a conscience. Or at least they won't act that way. Jesus was the most righteous man on the face of the earth, obviously. And yet, Judas very unreasonably turned against him tried to manipulate him and turned against him and turned to the harlot and the beast 
to crucify him. The harlot of that day, of course, was apostate Judaism, and the false prophet was the Sanhedrin, and the beast was the Roman Empire that was ruling over the people of God. Judas used the harlot of that day and used the beast to crucify Jesus. Folks, that's exactly what's going to happen today. They're going to deliver up one another. Many shall stumble. Many are going to fall away in which the son of perdition will be revealed. And at that time, they will use the harlot of our day, which is not necessarily apostate Judaism, but apostate Christianity is the harlot you're going to have to worry about. They're going to use the harlot of our day to crucify the body of Christ. They're going to use the beast of our day, the revived Roman Empire, the worldwide revived Roman Empire that's coming on the scene right now. They're going to use that to crucify the body of Christ. I suspect, folks, that most everybody, every local body, will have some of these people. At least one. You know, the local body that Jesus chose to have together as a type and a shadow, there was one in the midst. He had a purpose. He has, they have purposes in our day. Uh, we're not, we generally don't choose to go to our cross without help. God is sending us help. Now, I'm not talking about a physical cross. I'm talking about the cross Jesus said we would have to take up. The cross of death to self. We're called to die to self. You know, Jesus was as a lamb led to the slaughter. Many times these people will mercilessly persecute us, speak against us, rail about us, lie about us, you know, uh, accuse us to everyone around us. But they're just a bunch of lying sons of perdition that are there to bring us to our cross. They have a good work. They're bad, demon-possessed people. But they have a good work. You know that God works all things together for our good? That has to include these people. They are for our good. Or he wouldn't permit them. Jesus wouldn't have chose one purposely knowing he was a son of the devil. Oh, he was very religious. Let me tell you, Judas went out there and did miracles with the best of them. Or they would have all suspected him. They didn't suspect him. They even suspected themselves before they suspected him. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? See, the son of perdition wasn't revealed until the falling away came, and that happened about the middle of the tribulation period. You know, when the mark of the beast is demanded, these people who have no um, Christian fortitude, who have no power from God in their life, Judas was a thief, he was a liar, he proved he had no power of God in his life. These people will take the mark of the beast. They will be doing it for three and a half years. If you ask me, the beginning of it will be in the middle. But they will be attempting to put this on everybody. And these people, because they don't want to face their wilderness, they don't want to face death to self in the wilderness, they're going to do this. They're going to be an abomination that maketh desolate. These spots and blemishes are going to be cleansed out of the body. That evil Babylonish temple that's in the midst of God's temple will be removed. They will be bundled together. They will be their own Babylonish temple. And Judas being an apostle, 
and leader in the church, let me tell you that the Babylonish temple has a bunch of leaders that are just like that. And I can tell you God's got a plan for them. He's got what he calls the wrath of God. He will give them time to repent during the tribulation period. It's coming to prove who's who, who's the wheat and who's the tare. But at the end of that time, he will destroy them. God bless you, brethren. Well, all right. Thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us, in us, and your guidance, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the faith that you have placed in all of us to believe what your word says concerning everything, all your promises. And, Father, we just praise you and we glorify you for all that you're going to do today. That this word would be a blessing to everybody out there. That it would be a revelation to light. And, Lord, we just praise you and we glorify you for what we're going to talk about today. In Jesus' name, we ask for your anointing, Lord, and your glory upon us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I want to talk about faith and the transformation it makes that we make in our salvation walk. You know, we all understand that we can keep God's commandments because of grace, and it's not because of any of our abilities at all. We can keep His commandments, and we can obey Him because of the reconciliation that Jesus made at the cross. He took my sins and your sins, put them on the cross, and He took His righteousness and He put them on us. Praise God. And we're supposed to reckon it done by faith. That's why it's called the good news. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, It is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh... I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul was living by faith. He was confessing what that Bible said about him, and it was true that he was now dead. He was confessing that he died at his baptism and that when he came up out of the water, it was Jesus that now lived inside him. In other words, that old man died, and he was buried under the water. And that new man, resurrected, came up out of the water, praise God. And the world can't accept that the condition is faith. But faith is what empowers us to be obedient to the Word of God. Faith empowers us to see ourselves the way the Bible tells you to see ourselves. And if we look at ourselves, and you size up yourself up the way you are right now, that's what you're manifesting. But that's not how the Bible says we're supposed to see ourselves. Our problem is, most of the time, is that we walk by sight And if you walk by the sight, just like the world does, that's all you're ever going to get. We need to see and look at ourselves the way Peter says to see, and that's by faith, right? 2 Peter 1 and 3. Seeing that his divine power hath granted, that's past tense, 
unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. At the cross, Jesus gave you everything you need. It's already yours, and you have to accept it by faith. You have to believe that the divine power given to you is everything you need for life and godliness. People spend a lot of time begging God, and they beg God, when all they need to do is just sit down, read the Word, and believe what it says. God don't want you to beg Him. The Bible says that reconciliation was accomplished on the cross. And it's a waste of time to not believe what the Bible says is already yours. Because God is not schizophrenic. He don't say one thing in His Word and then do something else. And He wants us to be confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, as it says in Philippians 1 and 6. You see, it's His work in you through faith in what Jesus gave to you on the cross. But we need to remember that James says, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. Some people have faith that's not faith. What they're calling faith is only mentally acknowledging something. Listen, folks, the devil mentally acknowledges Christ, but the devil don't have any kind of faith at all in Christ. We're not after mental acknowledgement. We're after faith, and faith calls the things that are not as though they were, bless God. Faith brings the manifestation. Faith does what Jesus said in Mark 11 and 24. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. In other words, believe you have received them, past tense, and you shall have them. And that condition is faith. It was designed to be so simple that even a child can receive it. But I'm telling you, if you've got worldly wisdom, that's going to block you from receiving it. Worldly wisdom said, that don't make any sense. Why did God make it that way? Well, God made it that way in order that only those people who receive faith could receive the promise. And faith is a gift of God, right? Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, and that's talking about your works, that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now that's talking about God's works there. Which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. So as you can see, there's a difference between your works and God's works through you. Philippians 2 and 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Lot, too many people like to teach that unconditional love of God. So you might not have ever heard that God hates anybody, but God hates all those whose works are evil. He tells us that. Let's look at Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. He says it here, Even as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Psalms 5 and 5, The arrogant shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hates all workers of iniquity. And in Psalms 11 and 5, 
the Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked and him that loves violence his soul hates. There's a whole bunch of verses like that in the Bible. God loves goodness. He don't like sin. God is in the process right now of creating sons. And there has to be Christ's likeness born in you. You manifest sonship as you grow in sanctification, which is what? That's separation from the world unto God. And if you obey His commandments, you're going to be separated from the world. Matthew 10.34 says, Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. When you're separated from the world, your works are God's works, folks. God's desire is to manifest sonship in order to have fellowship with you. And God's the one that does it. Ephesians 1 and 5 says, Having foreordained us unto adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, by faith, you see, we believe that God is the one, right? Colossians 1 and 13, who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Don't, have, don't get any fear on you. All you got to do is just believe. The only difference between the person who's chosen and the person who's not chosen is faith. So what we need to do is go ahead and believe, right? People out there worry. Say, I wonder if I'm one of the elect. Well, believe that you are one of the elect and you will be. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you know you can't worry and have faith at the same time? And if you're anxious, then you're not having no faith, right? Stop worrying about what you haven't done. Let's go ahead and exercise faith, and you will do. (laughs) Praise God. And never think that you're not doing good enough. And that you have to pick yourself up by your bootstrap. Because you don't have a bit of ability whatsoever to be anything but what you are right now. Unless something from the outside reaches inside and changes you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reaches in and He changes our heart through faith. And as you believe that you've been given what the Bible says you've been given, right? It's simple. And it's free. And it's not by our works. Otherwise, we've earned it. And that's not grace, right? First John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this cause the world knows us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we children of God, It is not yet made manifest what we shall be. We know that if he shall be manifested, that John's talking about Christ being manifested in us, okay? We shall be like him, 
for we shall see him even as he is. And everyone that has this hope set on him purifies himself, even as he is pure. If Christ is manifested, you're going to be like him. That's what the Bible says. The received text, the Nestle's text, and the numeric Bible all say, if he shall be manifested. Because this ain't talking about his coming in the air, okay? This is talking about him coming in us. His manifestation in us. If he shall be manifested, we will be like him. Because we're going to see him as he is. Now what does that mean? To see him even as he is. Well, look at Second Corinthians 3 and 18. Okay, this is a good one. David likes this all the time. But we all with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image. You have to see the image in the mirror as an accomplished fact before you can be transformed. God tells us to do that. For Christ to be manifested in you, you have to see Him as He is. Now don't trust in religion out there because there are no shortcuts, okay? When you look in the Word, you become familiar with the face of Jesus. That's your face, okay? Then verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. And so, by faith, we accept that as our gift from God. And it's not because you're able to do that, because ain't none of us able. And it's not because you're worthy, because none of us are worthy. But it's because it's been given to you through the reconciliation. The glory is the righteousness of Christ. That's the truth of Christ, His being, His presence. But you have to behold Him in the mirror and not some other Christ. We want the Jesus of this Bible. And if it's not this Jesus, then you're going to be manifesting the wrong image, right? Paul warned us about receiving another Christ and another spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. I marvel that ye are so quickly removing from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto a different gospel, which is not another gospel, only there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you. Let him be anathema, or cursed. As we've said before, so I say now again, if any man preaches unto you any gospel other than that which ye receive, let him be anathema. Verse 10, For I am I now seeking the favor of men or of God. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still pleasing men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Notice here what John says in 1 John 3 and 3. And everyone that has this hope 
set on him purifies himself even as he is pure. Well, how can we purify ourselves? Well, you do it through the promises in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, withal taking up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. This is the knowledge that you have been delivered. You have been saved and set free from the curse. In other words, it's the knowledge of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are to use faith and the Word against our old man, the flesh, the devil, and the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. You see, these promises are the sword with which you purify yourself, okay? Verse 1 again. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, that's a good promise. But you might be saying, but I thought we were to pray to God to do that. No, the Bible don't say that. The Bible says to stand and fight. Take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and use them against your enemies. Okay? Romans 12 and 2. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have to learn to think the way God tells us to think. Man fell away from God because of the way he thought. God says not to add to nor take away from his words. Or what happened? The curses of the book are going to be upon you. That's in Revelation 22 and 18. He says, I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. How many of you want that plague on you? Mm -mm. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city which are written in this book. So the way out from under the curse is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change your mind. Your thinking's wrong. We have to think the way God tells us to think. Not like we think we ought to think. We have to do it the same way God told us to think. Romans 6 and 11, he says, Even so reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So we need to consider it done because of that reconciliation that Jesus made. At the cross, you were made free from sin. 
And if you don't think like that, you can't walk away from it, and you'll never be able to stop sinning. How many times have you heard people say, I just can't do this? Of course you can't. Because you don't believe that God gave you the power to do it. It's true you can't because you're not a believer. In the early church, they were called believers. Believers in what? Believers in the true gospel. Well, what was the true gospel? You have been set free from sin by the power of God because of what Jesus did. And a, a true believer is not going to say, I just can't. You know what that believer is going to say? He's going to, that believer is going to say, I can. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. So we have to, our attitude has to change. We're always negative about our ability. Folks, our ability is nothing. But God's ability through us is total. You understand? Jesus gave us authority. Matthew 18 and 18. Verily, I say unto you, what things soever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what things soever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You can change the circumstances around you if you believe what this Bible tells you to believe. It'll change everything. If you think about yourself the way the Bible tells you to think about yourself, it'll change everything. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, think the way I tell you to think. If you speak, speak as an oracle of God, which means to speak in agreement with God. And that's real important for the manifestation of sonship. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, If any man speaks, speaking as it were oracles of God, if any man ministers, ministering as of the strength which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, who is the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now the Greek word for oracle is logion, and it means an utterance of God, a divine utterance. So you don't take away from his words and you don't add to him. Otherwise you're going to be living under the curse. Paul said Christ is coming to be glorified in a group of people. Second Thessalonians one and ten. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all them that believed because our testimony unto you was believed in that day. Jesus, folks, is going to be glorified in those people because they're going to believe what the Bible says. Verse 11, To which end we also pray always for you, that our God may count you worthy of your calling, and fulfill every desire of goodness and every work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Now, the Greek word for name is anama, and it means all that a name implies. It's, it's authority, character, rank, majesty, power, excellence, da-da-da-da-da, on and on, of everything that the name covers, okay? Paul is praying 
that the very nature and character of Christ would be glorified in us. Okay? Verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sonship is going to be manifested because you believe what the Word says. You hear people all the time say, I believe this Bible from cover to cover. I've said it too. But you know what? It's easier said than done. Because the mind of the natural man is contrary to what the Bible says. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says, For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. As you read the Bible, you have to repent. And that word repent, by the way, don't mean cry. Throw a bunch of tears and snot and all. Repent is the Greek word montaneo, and it means to think differently. Or to change your mind. Change your way you do things. Start doing it the way God wants you to change. God wants you to change your mind because your thinking's been wrong, okay? Change your mind when you read the Bible. Accept what it says, and it'll deliver you. Jesus told us in John 8 and 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Praise God. So we need to exercise faith in what the Bible says, and we'll all be set free. Religion don't do that. Religion is just man's ideas about God. So we need to accept God's own ideas about God, right? Why take somebody else's opinion? And so we don't need to add or take away from the Word. And if you do that, you're going to be blessed. So we need to repent, change our mind, and we'll all be blessed, right? We'll all do that. Now, where and how do you receive the glory that Paul mentions that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and ye in him. Well, you know what religion says. They teach that you get the glory in the next life. But that's not what the Bible says. You can't find in the Bible one place, nowhere, where God comes and changes the soul. Okay? Most Christians believe that when God comes, He's going to take away your old dirty soul and give you a new one. No. The Word don't say that. The Word says only that God's going to give you a new body. That's all. It doesn't say nothing about the soul. Romans 8 and 23. And not only so, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for our adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Okay? For in hope were we saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for that which he sees? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 says... To the end that we should be unto the praise of his glory. We who had before hoped in Christ, in whom ye also, having heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having also believed, 
you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is an earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession, unto the praise of His glory. We receive the glory right here, and we receive it by bearing fruit right here. Here is where we bear the fruit of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit that the righteous would bear has to be born on earth before you go. He doesn't give it to you in heaven. You get it here. We have one chance to do it. We're running the race right here, right now, during the time that we're alive on earth. And those that are faithful in that race and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold, he's going to give a new body. But he didn't say he's going to give you a new soul. And if you believe that one day will come, that God's going to come down, he's going to change me, then where's the motivation for you to bear fruit? That lie right there makes it real easy for people who just want to be satisfied right where they're at with the Lord. And then they sit down. They're out to race in. They're completely out of the race. They're sitting down watching in a race. Jesus gave you the gift of himself freely. All we have to do is believe that we've got it. Believe that you have the ability of Christ and that his life is in you. Now, the gospel can be real simple, but it's not acceptable to the carnal mind, the old fleshly mind. The gospel is made so that a child can receive it. And what happened? The children trust their father, don't they? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, in verse 3, For ye died. Now, he's, he's speaking to people somewhere in the race here, somewhere along the process here. For ye died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, shall be manifested, then shall ye also with him be manifested in glory. Well, what's this Glory. To go back to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all, with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. Where's that glory? Is it here or is it beyond? Here or on the other side? Well, obviously the glory is right here, doesn't it? And what does he mean by from glory to glory? Well, Paul means the three different bodies that people are going to come in uh, in the next life. 1 Corinthians 15 and 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? In what manner of body do they come? Verse 36. Thou foolish one, that which thou thyself sows is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but a bare grain. <clears throat> Excuse me. It may chance of wheat or some other kind, but God gives it a body, even as it pleased him, and to each seed a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fishes. There are also celestial bodies, and bodies terrestrial. But the glory 
of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Verse 49, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So, the Lord calls them star glory, moon glory, and a sun glory body. We come into Christ's likeness, traveling through all three of those glories. We go from star glory, to moon glory, to sun glory. And if you die as a star glory, you receive a star glory body. And a star glory is when you're self-righteous, okay? A star has its own glory shining from it. And there are a whole lot of stars, just we're all separated because of self-righteousness when we first come to Christ, okay? Self-righteousness is star glory. But in Romans 6 and 5 it says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Then you manifest moon glory. You see, the stars, they got their own glory or their own self-righteousness. But what's the moon? It's dead. It has only one body. Moon glory is when we have died to self. But if we become one with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And that's what? That's sun glory. We go through three stages. We go through a self-righteous stage. Then we go through a death stage. And then a sun glory stage which is the resurrection of Christ. If you're looking at Jesus in the mirror, you're going to go through all through of those, those three stages from glory to glory. And you're going to come into the sun glory of Christ's likeness. If you die, and I say if because it says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep or die, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So if you die in one of those three stages, you're going to get that kind of a body. Paul is saying, when Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested in us, that's what he's talking about, then shall we also with him be manifested in glory. Now, I want to prove to you that he's talking about this life. He's not talking about the next life, okay, the spiritual life. 2 Corinthians 4 and 10 says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Well, if I ain't clear enough, let's see what the next one says. Verse 11. For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Mortal flesh ain't a new body, is it? God's purpose is that the life of Jesus would be manifested in this body through the suffering of death to self. The life of Jesus is resurrection life, and that's sun glory, okay? You go through death, and you come to resurrection life. 
And that's what Paul's talking about. The glory of Christ is the righteousness of Christ. We put on Christ by putting on his righteousness. We put on the robes that the bride wears. Revelation 19 and 8. And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And as we manifest Christ through faith in what God has given us, the biggest temptation we have is to look in the mirror and see ourselves. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deluding your own self. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. So if you see your natural face in the mirror, you're going to be a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. You don't want to do that. Second Peter 1 and 5 says, Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue. And in your virtue, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, patience. And in your patience, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind, seeing only what is near, having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Verse 10, Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never stumble. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying here, if you lack any of these attributes of Christ, it's because you're nearsighted. Why would you want to look into the mirror and see yourself? you got to remember that you were cleansed from your old sins, right? That means the old man is dead. Don't look in the mirror and see the old man. He's dead, he's gone. Look in the mirror and see Christ. In other words, Peter is saying that if you're lacking these attributes, it's because you see yourself when you look in the mirror. You can't do these things unless you look in the mirror and see Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, The disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is perfected, shall be as his teacher. That word perfected means matured. You have to believe that when you are matured, you're going to walk like he walked. You're going to talk like Jesus talked. And you're going to think just like Jesus thinks. And you got to see it in the mirror, okay? How many of you know that there's a difference of rewards concerning sonship? We've been taught that everybody gets the same reward, but that's contrary to what the Scriptures say. That should motivate each one of us to be a doer and not just a hearer of the Word. John chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus therefore said to those Jews that had believed Him, now He's talking to believers here, okay? You can tell that, right? If you abide in My Word, then are you truly My disciples? So here's the question. If we believe on Christ... Are we now disciples? 
Well, the question is, if you are a Christian, are you a disciple? Now, it ain't those we, we loosely call Christians are going to enter into the kingdom. It's disciples that are going to enter into the kingdom. And what's a disciple? It's a learner and a follower of Jesus Christ. You're walking in the same steps that Jesus walked in. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth. Who did he say he was going, uh, was going to know the truth? The disciples would know the truth. And the disciples are those who abide in his word. Verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who gets set free? Only disciples get set free. And that ought to give you understanding of why not all Christians get set free. Verse 33, They answered unto him, We are Abraham's seed, and have never yet been in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Everyone that commits sin is the bondservant of sin. And the bondservant abides not in the house forever. The son abides forever. So only sonship is eternal life. And a bondservant is not eternal life. Some of you might be asking, but what if I am a son by faith? Well, sonship is twofold. First of all, it's imputed by faith in the beginning. And secondly, it's manifested as we walk in that faith. And if we abide in that faith and walk in that faith, sonship will progressively manifest in us. We abide in the faith that we've been made free from sin. But everyone who commits sin is the bondservant of sin, and the bondservant doesn't abide in the house forever. Paul said the same thing in Galatians 4 and 30. Howbeit, what says the Scripture? Cast out the handmaid and her son, for the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 31. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of a handmaid, but of the free woman. If you're a son, then be a son by faith. And if you're walking in that faith as a disciple, you're going to be manifesting Christ, okay? You don't have time to sit down and relax. See Christ in the mirror and accept that Christ lives in you. And if you walk by faith in Him, you're going to do all of those mighty works of God. Don't try to attain to Christ by your works because that puts you under the law. And that turns you back over into a servant. And that's not what you want to be. Now, let's prove that the bond servant abides not in the house forever. If you remember, in the parable of the marriage feast, many were bidden to the feast, right? Matthew 22 and 11. But when the king came in to behold the guests, he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. What's the wedding garment? Well, Revelation 19.8 tells us that. And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The pure wedding garment of the bride, which we must wear, that's the righteous acts of the saints. Romans 13 and 14. 
But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. So you see, there's a garment that you got to put on. And that man there didn't have it on, did he? He obviously was a Christian, or he wouldn't have made it to the marriage feast. But even though he made it in to the marriage feast, he didn't have his wedding garment on. And the king saw that man. What did he say to him? Matthew 22 and 12. And he said unto him, Friend, how did you come in here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few chosen. Only the chosen got to stay. The call came, but they didn't get to stay. Or in other words, they didn't have eternal life. That man without the wedding garment was a Christian, but he didn't have eternal life. When you walk in faith, you're able to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this man wasn't walking in faith, and he wasn't putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened? He was broken off as a branch. Romans eleven nineteen. Thou wouldst say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, by their unbelief they were broken off, and thou stand by thy faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, neither will he spare thee. He was called, but he was not chosen. Now, here's another example that you can be called and not chosen. That's in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Verse 14 says, For it is as when a man going into another country called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, unto another two, unto another one to e- another one, to each according to his several ability, and he went on his journey. So we're seeing here that these were definitely servants of God that were given the talents. He gave them these talents. And the Lord did not return until they brought forth fruit from these talents. Now the servant that received the five talents, he, he, he brought back in five more. And the servant that received the two talents brought back two more. And what the Lord said, said they were his good servants. Praise God. But the servant who hid his one talent in the earth and didn't bring forth fruit from what his Lord gave him, was he called him an unprofitable servant, didn't he? Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I did not scatter. You ought therefore to have put my money to the bankers, and at my coming I should have received back mine own with interest. Take ye away therefore the talent from him, and give it unto the one that hath the ten talents. For every for unto every one that has that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that has not, even that which he has shall be taken away. Now that hath and that hath not here is talking about fruit. 
that servant with the five talents brought forth five more. He brought forth fruit of what God had given him. But the servant who has not is going to lose even that which he has. And that's talking about Christians, or what we loosely call Christians. And if they don't bring forth fruit of what God gives them, they're going to lose what they have. Because you are responsible to do something with what God gives you, whether it's two talents or whether it's five talents. That man with the one talent was just a servant. He wasn't a son because he did nothing with his talent. He was called but not chosen, and his talent was taken away from him. And it was given to the profitable servant with the ten talents. That's exactly what God is going to do with us. Did you know that a son has to be a servant? But a servant doesn't have to be a son. God's hope is to adopt his servants and make them sons. But all of his servants aren't going to bear fruit. And all are not going to become a son. By faith, the adoption happened 2,000 years ago. And manifestly, it's when you bear Christ as a 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit. The adoption is fully manifested when God gives you the new body. But in spirit and in soul, it's manifested while you're here on, on earth right now. There's a difference of reward because every servant will not become a son. They might have been called, but they're not going to be chosen. Ezekiel 46 and 16, Thus saith the Lord God, If the prince, now who was the prince? He was the high priest in the Old Testament, okay? If the prince, Hebrews 4 and 14, Having then a great high priest, let us hold fast, uh, who has, I'm sorry, having then a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Who's our priest? Who's our high priest? That's Jesus Christ. Now, Ezekiel 46 and 16 again. Thus saith the Lord God, if the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, it is his inheritance. It shall belong to his sons. It is their possession by inheritance. But if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants, it shall be his to the year of liberty. And that's the marriage feast. The year of liberty to the Jews was when the land went back to the original owner and when the servants were set free. Leviticus 27 and 21. But the field, when it goes out in jubilee, shall be holy unto the Lord. As a field devoted, the possession thereof shall be the priest, 25 and 54. And if he be not redeemed by these means, then he shall go out in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. Those who are in bondage were set free. And we're coming to a year just like that. All of this earth is going to go back to its original owner. And those servants who are manifesting sonship, they're going to be set free, praise God. And then verse 17 out of Ezekiel 46. But if he give of his inheritance a gift to one of his servants, it shall be his 
it shall be his to the year of liberty. So if God gives this gift to an unprofitable servant, he's only going to keep it until the year of liberty. Then it shall return to the prince, but as for his inheritance, it shall be for his sons. So you see, he's going to take the talent away from the unprofitable servant who has the one talent, and he's going to give it to his sons. His sons get the inheritance of all of those other servants because the other servants didn't walk in faith and they didn't manifest Christ. The sons get the whole enchilada. They get the whole inheritance, okay? Verse 18. Moreover, the prince shall not take of the people's inheritance to thrust them out of their possession. He shall give inheritance to his sons out of his own possession. So we're joint heirs with Christ. We receive the very same inheritance that Christ received. God does what he says he's going to do. And a person that don't manifest fruit from the gift given to them by the Lord are going to have their gifts taken away. And God's going to give it to those that have chosen sonship and are bearing fruit. And there's a difference of reward for what we have loosely called Christians. First of all, there was the servant with the two talents and the servant with the five talents. That's a difference right there. But both of those people brought forth everything that they could bring forth, and that's what God put in. God has given you knowledge and understanding, and He's going to hold you responsible to do something with it. Okay? Luke chapter 12 and verse 48. To whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom they commit much, of him will they ask the more. God expects us to do something with what he gives us. It's not a burden. It's not a real heavy burden that he puts on you. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You hear what he said? He said, my burden is light. Because knowledge is the way to fruit. And if you don't know what his promises are, then you can't set your faith on them, can you? And you certainly can't have them if you don't have faith. Second Peter 1 and 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of of him that called us by his own glory and virtue, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. So you got you see here, you have to know what to reach out for. People are going to use the excuse, well, a preacher didn't teach me. They didn't teach me what to do. The preacher's lying to me. But what did Jesus say? John chapter 7, verse 17. If any man wills to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. In other words, if you do the will of the Father, you're going to know the teaching. Okay? No one can stop you from getting the truth if you really want to know God, because He's going to make sure 
that he gets it through to you. And if you stay in apostate religion, you risk being cast out and losing your inheritance. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 16 says, To deliver thee from the strange woman. Now, God's talking about the heart it there. Even from the foreigner that flatters with her words, that forsakes the friend of her youth. Who is that? That's Jesus. And forgets the covenant of her God. For her house inclines unto death and her paths unto the dead. Then he goes on to warn the people. In verse 21, for the up, excuse me, for the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it, but the wicked shall be cut off from the land, and the treacherous shall be rooted out of it. Y'all remember that wedding guest? He didn't have the wedding garment on, don't you? He came to the marriage feast, but he didn't get to stay. And it's real important to understand that because it really motivates you to seek after the Lord. <laughs> Isaiah 65 and 8 says, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. That's talking about the apostate people of God. What he's saying here is that there's a remnant of something good in their midst, and that's why he's not going to destroy them all. Verse 9, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains and my chosen. Now, that's not all that's called, but only the chosen. That's that word elect. And my chosen shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Acor. That represents tribulation. The root word for acre means to afflict or trouble. Okay? A place for herds to lie down in for my people that have sought me. But ye that forsake the Lord that forgot, forget my holy mountain. That's talking about the kingdom of God there. My holy mountain. That prepare a table for fortune. These people are lusting after the things of the world, and they are paying attention to the things of the world. And that fill up mingled wine unto destiny. Verse 12, I will destine you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear. But you did that which was evil in mine eyes, and chose that where I delighted not. Now, here's another warning that followed just a, a few verses later. Verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So after God has created a new heaven and a new earth, we're talking about here, okay? There shall be no more thence an infant of days nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and a sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. You know that a child and a servant are the same. It tells us that in Proverbs 29 and 21. And here we can see that the bondservant is sent, and the child are the same person. This is somebody who hasn't entered into sonship yet, either through faith or through manifestation. 
And Isaiah says, a sinner being a hundred years old. Well, a hundred is a tenth of the millennium, a tenth of one thousand. And a lot of people under the law are just doing business with God. They say, I give God my ten percent. Just like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. But Paul said this in Galatians 5 and 4. Listen to this. Ye are severed from Christ, ye who would be justified by the law. Ye are fallen away from grace. So we're free from the law. We're free to follow the Spirit of God. And if we follow the Spirit of God, we're going to surpass anything that the law says. So remember that the guest without the wedding garment, he was in the wedding feast, and he did get to stay for a little while. Then what happened? He was cast out. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. Isaiah 65 and 17 says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And there shall be heard in her no more the voice of weeping and the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. These bond servants of sin that choose to remain children instead of growing into sonship aren't going to be able to enter into that new Jerusalem. Revelation twenty one twenty seven says this, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything unclean, or he that makes an abomination and a lie, but only they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. 22 and 15 says, Without are the dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone that loves and makes a lie. Those people right there are going to be cast forth from the city of God. And there's a big difference of reward between those who do serve God And those who profess God, but don't serve God. And everybody who has not believed on the only begotten Son of God is already judged. But the judgment is going to be in the separating. Matthew 13, 24 says, Another parable set he before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the blaze sprang up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? Whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servants say unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest happily while you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather up first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. 
but gather the wheat into my barn. Folks, we're entering into the kingdom right now. And that's what's separating the sheep from the goats. Well, I'm out of time. I hope you got something out of this. God bless you, and we'll see you next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to www.americaslastdays.com. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 